Today, we're talking about sex. We're, uh, you, you guys did this. This is on you. I put this squarely on your shoulders. We asked, what does the Bible say about? What do you want to hear? And, okay. So, all right. Stick to the script here. Uh, the, uh, uh, oh, we're definitely going to pray just in a bit. I'm praying all morning. Uh, this is a topic that can uh, bring some awkward and uncomfortable feelings, uh, understandably, but I think today will be really good as we seek to understand uh, what the Bible says about sex. Um, I want to set the stage for the sermon by giving us some background as to how sex is viewed in the world today. Um, in preparation for this morning, I listened to a sermon by John Mark Comer. He's one of my uh, favorite authors, and he pastors a church up in Portland, Oregon called Bridgetown Church. Um, and he preached a sermon called God and Sexuality. Um, and so I want us to hear some of the information that he shared because I think it helps us understand clearer the stance of the Bible when it comes to sex, uh, to see this, the Bible's stance contrasted against what the world uh, at our time large, largely believes about sex. So I'm going to share what he said about the cultural West, about how the cultural West views sexuality. Um, he starts by sharing uh, how much change humanity has gone through since the 1960s. Uh, no generations have, have been through more change than the ones who have been a part of the past 50 years. And so let's just think, he lists some things. Think of all the change that has happened in the past half century. Um, internet was not around. Uh, email, smartphone, AI, uh, transportation, post-Christian culture, civil rights, global terrorism, gay rights, uh, the mapping of the human genome. Uh, he also lists third wave coffee. Uh, I would agree that that is amazing. Um, but the list could go on and on, and it becomes clear as to why there is so much social unrest and why it's so taxing on our emotions uh, to just live in this world today. And it's because we're dealing with a lot, and we're processing a lot all at once. So much change to our daily life and the world that we live in. Uh, but maybe the most change has actually happened in our view of sexuality. And so Comer explains that there have been five major shifts in how we relate to sexuality, especially, again, in the cultural West. And so I want to list those five major shifts for you. Number one, sex has been disconnected from childbearing and family. I didn't realize this, but uh, birth control, as we know it today, only dates back to 1960. And it wasn't until 1972 that the Supreme Court legalized it for single people. And so before then, it was illegal to acquire it outside of marriage. For most of human history, it was hard to imagine a future after sex without long-term responsibility and effects. But that's not the case anymore. If anything, the opposite is maybe true. And this has affected sex in various ways, but primarily it has shifted the focus of sex for people in and outside of marriage to pleasure rather than procreation. Number two, sex has been disconnected from marriage. It is no longer for people in a relationship until death do us part, uh, as it was for most of time in almost all cultures, and actually still is in parts of the world. A lot of the world today, including those in other major religions, 
view sex within the context of marriage only. But that's not what's happening in, in our world. Um, this has created an anxiety around sexuality because as we'll get to today, sex is meant for that lifelong relationship in marriage. But now people are experiencing that connection outside of that. And so something is happening between two people that wasn't supposed to happen in that context. And that has consequences and effects. Some people today say, why not? Um, sex is a part of being human. So I'm just, by participating in that, I'm just participating in humanity. It won't hurt anyone. How many of you have heard that before, that sex doesn't hurt Anyone? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand, but I think you have. Um, and I don't think that's true. In fact, I think we can probably find that it's more true that it does hurt people. Um, sex outside of marriage hurts people and leaves people with serious issues to work through. That's number two. Okay, so number, number three, sex has been disconnected from male-female relationships. Uh, he points out, and I agree that it's shocking that it's only been two years since the legalization of gay marriage only because it seems like it's been a lot longer. And I think that's because it's been a part of our culture for a very long time. Um, but culture today says that marriage is for anyone, and possibly even outside of humanity. Apparently, you can be married to objects now. We'll get to that in a second. Um, and the next point Comer says is the most drastic change of all. Number four, sex has been disconnected from love, emotion, relational commitment um, and relational commitment of any kind uh, for some people, not for all. Um, but we look at the hookup culture of today that's prevalent in our society. Um, and it's, if you're unaware of it, you should know it's out there. It's really common. It's normal. We have all sorts of apps and sites that uh, cater to that need of just the one night stand. Um, and he mentions uh, yeah, just how common and normal that is. He mentions the example in our culture today that many people are delaying marriage until um, much later in life, until they get their career to where they think it should be. Uh, career has become this new god in people's minds, uh, this ultimate goal worth pursuing, uh, worth their everything. And so during this time, sometimes 10 to 20 years after they graduate, they still want sex, but without any love, emotion, or relationship, all of which are time-consuming, messy, requires sacrifice, um, and many people feel they don't have the time for that. I'm not saying that pursuing career first is wrong, but merely trying to point to the effect that it has on some in regards to their sexual desires. And so now with all these shifts that are happening, none of this uh, is, is new to the world. Uh, Comer points out that people have been sleeping together outside of marriage for as long as we know. Uh, you can just look at the Old Testament. Uh, people have been trying to avoid pregnancy for a very long time. Prostitution, gay relationships, gender fluidity have all been around since ancient times. What is new is that more and more people convey that this shift is moral progress. And as a part of, it's a part of liberation from, a, um, from the oppression of tradition. The old ways are not only outdated, but are now cruel, unfair, and harsh. And Comer says, and I quote, in fact, in a moral 180, more and more people label anybody who still holds to the ancient view of sexuality as behind. And in the progressive view of human history, progressives view themselves as the moral intellectual leaders of human history. 
And so they're leading uh, this charge, uh, this, this claim that the ancient views of sexuality, the view that it's between a man and a woman, that it's for life, that sex is for marriage, for the marriage relationship, is outdated and oppressive. All of this, which leads to the fifth shift, number five, sex has been disconnected from people. Uh, without getting into too much detail, it's already present, but developing further, uh, this idea of relationship outside of human contact. Things like sex robots are not just for sex now, but even for marriage. Um, just think about how intertwined technology is in our life, uh, the growing lack of human interaction. People don't know how to flirt anymore or seduce because conversing with another person is so foreign. Foreign. In light of all the changes that have happened, maybe it's not surprising that we've landed at this fifth point, and this is where things are going. I share all this from John Mark Comer because I think it helps us to have a better frame of mind in answering uh, the question today in, in the world's context, what, what the world is thinking about sex today, uh, and we should understand what the Bible says in comparison to that. And we'll see that it's very, very different. Um, We'll see as we move through the ta- today that while there's a twisted view of sex that's been around for a very long time since the fall in Genesis, it only points to a greater need for us to have a biblical understanding of sex. We're going to be looking at a few passages this morning, um, bouncing around a little bit uh, in the Bible, but to help set the tone, I want to read from Song of Solomon, uh, the most sensual book not only in the Bible, but one of the most sensual books in all of literature. And the Song of Solomon conveys God's heart for physicality, sensuality, and sexuality in marriage. And so I'm going to read um, this dialogue between a husband and a wife. Um, So you can turn there if you would like. Song of Solomon chapter 7. How beautiful are your feet and sandals, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are like our pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bathrabim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Carmel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are. O loved one with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. O may your breasts be like the clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your breath like the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O my beloved. Let's pray. God, thank you for... for your presence here this morning, Lord, for being with us. Um, God, we acknowledge you as creator, as Lord over all. You are majestic and awesome, and um, God, we desire to be more like you. As we seek 
uh, your wisdom and truth this morning. Um, I pray that we would be made more and more into your likeness. Transform us, God. Renew us through the reading and studying of your word. And God, as we uh, discuss this topic today of sex, I pray that we would be reminded of, um, of how you intended things, of your purpose in creating us and what our relationships were supposed to be like, God. And I pray that we would um, be motivated and, and encouraged and exhorted to follow you with everything that we have, give our entire lives to you. Be with us this morning. Be with me. Uh, give me the words to say. Um, we pray this in your name. Amen. All righty. Okay. I really tried to avoid this one. But Wayne said I had to. <laughs> so... From Comer's uh, dialogue, I hope that was helpful for you. I know that was helpful for me in my study today was to just get a better understanding of sex today. Um, maybe it's also helpful to put it on a scale. And uh, on one extreme end of the scale, we have that people view sex as a god. It's worth pursuing uh, with their everything. They value it above all. And I would say that this obviously isn't healthy. On the other end of this scale, we might say that some people view sex is, uh, that sex is gross. Uh, there's a discomfort that could be from childhood, a prom night, a party in college, maybe even sexual abuse, rape, or manipulation. Maybe the willingness to enter into a sexual event or relationship that has now stirred deep regret. And so we have this view that sex is not okay, that sex is gross, um, or maybe, a bit different, uh, came from the effort to uh, keep sex from being a god. We've tried to put as much distance as possible between that feeling. And so we've landed up over here and thinking that sex is gross. Uh, unintentionally, we've developed that mindset. And I would say that that isn't healthy either. Um, and on this scale, is everything in between. Sex is fine. Sex is no big deal. It's leisure. It's for pleasure. Sex is, and you can fill in the blank, um, but I want to reframe that, and I want to say that sex is neither a god or gross or anything like that, but instead is a gift from God. Sex is a gift from God. A gift is something that must be given. There is purpose and intention behind it, and I think that that is what we'll see when we um, get to our first point but that God created this. This was part of God's creation in man and woman. Uh, Pastor Bill, who preached on sex at the Spring Valley last week, says this, uh, Sexual intimacy was engineered in the mind of God as a gift to his children, the means of reproducing human life as well as the medium of giving and receiving physical pleasure as it mirrors spiritual and emotional oneness in a marriage. I thought that was... Very well put. And, and so treating this gift from God flippantly is at best ignorant and no matter what, unwise and leads to serious negative consequences. Um, I also want to say, before going into our points for this morning, that whatever you think about sex, whether you're somewhere on that scale or maybe it's confusion, hurt, shame, or guilt, whatever, uh, know that you're not alone. 
uh, even in this room, that you're not alone. Um, I think that's important to be reminded of as a congregation, that uh, in this room, you, it's okay to be figuring out things, to be figuring out what you believe, um, what better place than the church to, fi- to process those feelings and thoughts. I really, really don't like the notion that church is a place of perfection. Uh, I think the church is messy. It's made up of people, and people are messy, and it's a place where uh, the person next to you may be thinking one thing, um, you may be wrestling with something, and you're wrestling with something else, but it's okay to do that here. Um, the church is where that should be happening, where we can love one another with the love of Christ, and Christ's love is long-suffering, enduring, and never-ending, and it covers all. Um, so this is the place to figure out stuff to become more like Christ. My point is, you're not alone wherever you're at. Don't feel that way. I digress. My three points. I want to ask, how is sex a gift from God? Number one, sex is good. We'll look at Genesis. Number two, sex is for marriage. Uh, We'll look at Hebrews. And number three, sex is owed between a husband and a wife. And we'll go to 1 Corinthians for that one. So number one, sex is good. Let's go back to the beginning in Genesis where God created man and woman. Um, God has created the garden. He's got the garden all set up. Adam is doing his thing. He's naming creatures, hanging out um, with God. It's really awesome. And the language in the first two chapters conveys a lot of something new and it being good. God has created and it's good. Uh, the world as we know it is coming, to, uh, coming into existence and it is good. And then God notices in chapter 2, verse 18, what isn't good, and it's man being alone. All the other animals have mates. There is more than one, but there's just one human, and God says, that's not good. So he decides to do something about it. And so Genesis 2, uh, 21 through 25, uh, you can read along on the screen if you'd like. Uh, So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord... God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Uh, You may be familiar with those Verses, uh, because they're often referenced at a uh, a wedding, and it's beautiful. Um, But from this passage, we see uh, attraction and intimacy between man and woman. And it was good, and it was what God planned. It doesn't explicitly say the words, it was good, but we get the sense of affirmation uh, for this marriage and what marriage is about. Specifically from Adam's response in verse 23, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, Uh, Adam is affirming the attraction that he felt with this woman, the physical connection that they had. And we kind of get the sense that, I get the sense, that Adam, as he was doing what God had commanded him about going about the garden, naming the animals, was noticing that all these things are different and not me and not like me. And so once woman Eve was there, there was this um, connection that he had not felt before. The passage continues with, therefore a man shall do life. Um, 
with this woman, with his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And it says that they were naked and they were not ashamed. And so women, a man and woman being together is now good. And the first commandment that God gives to humanity is to be fruitful and multiply, which means sex. It's a command, and it's good. From the first two chapters of the Bible, we see that God in, uh, what God intended was humanity uh, procreating, having sex, having a family, reigning in the garden with him in marriage. So that was, his, that was what he wanted. God set that up. Man and woman in marriage, um, procreating, uh, and so that humanity could co-rule the garden with him. And all of that was really good. And I just I want to emphasize the good today because, I, as I mentioned in my introduction, I think sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we as Christians or the church can unintentionally have a negative view of sex, um, whether it's communicating the don'ts, don't do it, stay away. Uh, there's a lot of negative words around that. And um, maybe it'd be good to emphasize the positive message of sex where God had what God intended in marriage. We'll get to that. Um, but we already see... Just from Genesis, uh, how the biblical view differs with those five shifts that I mentioned at the very beginning. In Genesis 3, we won't get there today, but you know the story. It goes on to share how uh, sin enters the world, man's heart becomes corrupted, and it no longer leans towards God, but looks inward, and humanity, humanity's heart wants to serve itself, and everything they do becomes selfish, and that includes marriage and sex. So... Um, but the way God intended it is that sex is good. And our application here is that maybe we need to rethink our view of sex. It's not gross. It's not a God. um, But however you think of sex today, take some time on your own to realign your thoughts and see it as a gift from God, something that is good. Sex is good, and it's good in the right circumstances. Very important, which leads us to the second point. Sex is for marriage. If you couldn't tell, these are... We're going to be building each one of these points, builds on the other, and they're necessary. Um, Don't misquote me ever and just take one of my points away from the other points. Uh, Sex is good. Sex is for marriage. This is an important aspect. Um, Again, one that people today no longer think is a necessary part of the equation. But we see that in Genesis, and it's also reinforced in the New Testament by Jesus and other New Testament authors. So, uh, um, we'll, we'll put Hebrews 13, 4 up on the screen. You can turn there if you want. Uh, short verse, it says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Uh, from this, we see that marriage is to be held in honor. All of marriage, everything that comes with it, and this includes sex. Uh, We need to hold marriage and sex in a high, holy manner with reverence and respect. And the two should be associated with each other. Sex and marriage and a part of marriage is sex. Sex outside of marriage is not what the Bible shares as a positive. That's not what God designed. And in fact, we see here that sex outside of marriage is adulterous and immoral. Anytime uh, God's judgment is mentioned, it's cluing us into the fact that God takes that pretty seriously. And so this verse is telling us that God considers marriage and the marriage bed um, with the utmost of importance. This command to view marriage and honor is for everyone, married and unmarried. 
If unmarried, you are to respect those who are married. You must see them within, the, with, within boundaries and do not lead them into sin. Uh, if married, you must give your all to your spouse and not anyone else outside the marriage. I'm sure it's familiar to you, the stories um, of maybe friends uh, or family who did not hold marriage in honor, uh, did not view the marriage bed with, uh, with honor, and, and when that doesn't happen, it gets messy, it's, it's sad, it creates uh, distance in relationships, not only with other people, but with God. It leads to brokenness, and it grieves God's heart. And so... Uh, we must hold to the standards that God has set in place, that God has designed for us. And when it comes to sex, God has designed for sex to be in the marriage relationship. It's a way of procreation, recreation, and communication within marriage. And as a point of application for us today, uh, if you're single, be willing to wait for what God has for you, the good thing in the right context. Um, the world today, your peers even, or definitely media, would have you think that sex is just a lustful moment that is totally fine and normal, but the Bible says uh, otherwise. And as a point of application, if you're married today, hold your marriage and the marriage bed with the respect and honor that God demands. Thirdly, sex is owed between a husband and a wife. Now, uh, often we hear the word O and we hear it as a negative. But in this case, it's, it's not a negative. Um, it's, it refers to the honor, the respect, and the love, the selflessness that should be evident and alive in a marriage between a husband and a wife. So uh, I want to read from 1 Corinthians 7, from the words of Paul. Uh, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for unlimited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right. Some pretty straightforward demands there from Paul. Um, but we're following our train of thought because sex is good and because sex is for marriage. The marriage partners, the spouses, the husband and wife should want to give this gift of sex to their spouse. Um, Paul acknowledges in this, in this verse that Satan uh, is after you. He wants to bring down everything in your life. He wants to create chaos in your life. He wants to tear you away from God. And so... Uh, in your marriage, sex is one of the ways that he is going to try to do that. And he can do that. He can ruin, uh, can ruin a marriage. So don't let there be any foothold for the enemy to step in and wreak havoc on your marriage. Um, remember that sex is good and it's a part of a healthy marriage. We can view sex selfishly and use it for our advantage in ways that God did not intend and Paul mentions here that when talking about the rights of the husband and the wife belonging to each other, uh, he's, he's saying that this is what God intended. Uh, the opposite of that is, is not something um, that should be happening, and it's something that sex is something in a marriage that can be abused. Uh, this section reminded me of an Old Testament story with uh, 
Rachel, Leah, and Jacob. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but Jacob falls in love with Rachel, and then he gets tricked, marries Leah, then marries Rachel, and then in their marriage, there's this battle that happens, kind of like a popularity battle of the two wives wanting the affection and the love of Jacob, and it's... It's a weird story in the Bible. I don't know if you've read it recently. You should go back and read it. But sex is used as like a bargaining chip to, for them to have kids. And because kids was a symbol of um, just how they should be viewed by their husband. And it gets really messy. And I think Paul maybe had this in mind when writing this. Like, don't do anything close to that. Um, Paul is warning against the use of sex for selfish motive or intent. Uh, and exhorting people to view it as a gift that should be given to each other. All right. The application here is that sex uh, should be happening in a marriage. Maybe some of you have had terrible sexual experiences that have left you broken. Um, But know this, that God wants you whole. Uh, To the unbroken spouse Maybe that is your role in the marriage, to help in the healing and redeeming process of the wounds of your spouse who feels broken. Or maybe if both of you are broken from sexual sin, know that God redeems and heals and is making you both whole when you adhere to his word and walk in his wisdom. Hopefully, uh, through these three, three passages, we've seen... Um, God's intent for for marriage, God's intent for sex. Um, we've seen that sex is good, sex is for marriage, and that sex is owed between a husband and a wife. It's a part of a healthy marriage. Um, and I just want to touch on this part again before we close. Whether unmarried or married, whatever your sexual experience, good or not good, uh, be re- know this or be reminded of this, that God forgives sexual sin. First uh, John one nine says, "If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness." So acknowledge the sin in your life, bring it before God, and as His Word says, when you confess, He is faithful and just to forgive you of that sin, and then live a life that maintains that purity moving forward. There is grace and mercy and newness found in Him. Uh, in conclusion for this morning, uh, it's good for us to be aware of the world's current views of sex, um, how disconnected from marriage, from love, from, hu- from human interaction that sex is sadly becoming, so disconnected from what God designed and intended. And it shows us that as Christians, we need to know what the Bible says about sex. And I believe that the Bible has a positive message, that sex is good for marriage and owed between a husband and a wife. And so again, just ending these applications, uh, rethink your view of sex and, and see that it embodies a belief that is reflected in scripture. Hold high the honor of marriage and of sex. Recognize that those two things are meant to be together. And then hear that the Bible um, says that sex should be happening in marriage. It's a part of a healthy marriage and shouldn't be used for any selfish motive. Above all, God is good, and we can trust him as we figure out all this and how it plays out in our life. Amen? Amen? Are you guys there? All right. Woo!
Let's pray again. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your message. Um, yeah, it's necessary. And uh, our desire as a church, as a whole, is to be a body of believers that um, reflects you, lives a, li- lives a life that glorifies and honors you. And so I pray that uh, if we're married, that in our marriage, our marriage is reflecting you, God, that we are... Um, carrying out that marriage as you design. And if we're not married, uh, I pray that we would be viewing sex and marriage in a way that your Bible describes. Um, Help us to hold high the honor of marriage. Help us to see that uh, sex is a part of a healthy marriage. Um, God, I pray that you would help us to overcome any brokenness, any, um, any sin that we're struggling with. Uh, God, I pray that you'd help us to know that you are you can overcome that. You are larger than that, and you nothing is too big for you. Um, your grace is enough. Um, your love uh, covers all. And so I pray that we would feel that, God. Um, and if we need to come before you um, repenting, I pray that the Spirit would move in a way that, that makes that happen. Um, but all in all, I pray that all of us today would feel closer to you, and um, seek to acknowledge you with every part of our life. We pray this in your name. Amen.